Hey everybody, welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and we've got a wonderful interview for you today. We're going to be talking with Matthew Guariglia, get that name right, uh, from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And we're going to be talking today specifically about the Ring Doorbell, and which is owned by Amazon now, and some rather disturbing, creepy partnerships that have come to light between them and law enforcement, aka local police. Uh, and it's, uh, it could be a troubling trend. And so we're going to talk about the implications of that and just kind of touch the surface of facial recognition problems in general. Uh, and actually since, just since I've interviewed, uh, Matthew, just a couple weeks ago, there's been a couple more, uh, updates on this story. So at the end of the interview, after the interview, I'll catch you up on a couple things that has happened since we talked. Also, I'd like to kind of draw your attention to a really good article uh, from an organization called Privacy International, and they did a really good write-up of kind of public surveillance in general, like all the issues surrounding it. And they did a really good level-headed job of walking through what's going on and what the real implications of that are. So uh, I'll put a link to the show notes. If you, uh, if you just want to search on it, you can go to privacyinternational.org and look for their recent article called Protecting Civic Spaces. It's a really good article, uh, and I strongly recommend you check that one out. All right, so again, I'll update you a little bit more on this on the Ring Doorbell stuff after this interview. But for now, let's talk with Matthew Goriglia from the EFF. All right, Matthew Guariglia is a policy analyst for surveillance and privacy at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, he's also a visiting research scholar, scholar at the University of California, Berkeley, and holds a PhD in U.S. history. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, so uh, the reason you're here, uh, you, uh, you wrote an article recently for the FF about uh, the Ring video doorbell and some rather disturbing relationships with its maker Amazon is cultivating with local law enforcement. So yeah, facial recognition is blowing up. It's, it's sprouting up everywhere. So I'm really happy to have you on the show so we can talk about what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of news has been breaking very rapidly on this topic. So I'm, I'm glad to be here to discuss it. So let's, let, before we dive in, let's obviously let's get to the basics. So for people who don't know, for those, of the, uh, those in the audience who have no idea what we're talking about, what is the ring? What is a ring video doorbell? And, and basically how does it work? Yeah, so, so Ring is a small electronic doorbell uh, that happens to have a camera and a microphone on it that people are uh, increasingly putting on their front door. You wouldn't really necessarily know unless you go very close to it that there's a camera on it. It kind of just looks like a normal doorbell that somebody has added to their front door. Uh, the thing about this is that for people who own Ring, uh, it, it can live stream video straight to your phone uh, from your front door. If it senses motion, if somebody rings the doorbell, it will give you an alert on your phone. Uh, and so people, you know, spend their days uh, near their phone getting updates as to what's happening on their front door. And so I, I will cop to, I own one of these. I bought one of these years ago before Amazon bought them for about a billion dollars uh, early last year. Uh, but you know, I've, my home office is, is in the basement uh, and I live mostly alone. So, you know, it's actually, it was, for me, it was very useful. Like, you know, if I'm down in the bowels of my house and someone rings the doorbell, you know, I could just, I could talk to him. It's got two, two audio if I want to do that. And I can see who's there. Um, likewise, if I'm traveling and someone knocks at the door, I can see who it is. 
you know, one of the, I didn't buy it for this reason. I bought it for that reason. But, but, you know, one of the reasons I've often heard touted about these things is it's a burglary deterrent, you know, so, you know, burglars apparently, and maybe this is, uh, maybe this is an urban myth that they try to propagate, but, but they say that, you know, they burglars come during the day when they figure it out home because they actually don't want to find people at home. So they ring the doorbell to find out if you're home. And if you're not, then maybe that makes you target, but you could always pretend to be home. Yada, yada, yada. Um, now, obviously once Amazon bought these bought this thing and I've noticed this since, since then is the whole marketing around this thing has really kind of changed. Um, you know, it's like I get real time alerts and these weekly crime summaries. So, uh, do you see that too? Is like when Amazon bought them, did, did things, the marketing around this change? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'll be honest. I wasn't that familiar with ring before it was purchased by Amazon. Uh, but it seems like one of the things Amazon is really kind of keying into is this kind of public safety crime kind of uh almost in general panic that that the marketing around it um kind of drums up um and so for instance paired with the the ring is an app that they promote called neighbors uh which like some other kind of apps around there um is about you know people in your community sharing information about what's going on except unlike other apps that also let you you know sell a used dresser or something (laughs) this one is specifically about crime and public safety and so even people who don't buy ring cameras are encouraged by amazon to kind of adopt their neighbor's app which i mean and there's been a lot of reporting on this uh is this sort of thing ultimately just kind of ends up deputizing people in a neighborhood yeah and what it leads to is kind of a lot of racial profiling is mm-hmm. is um you know anybody on the street becomes a suspect who's not you know delivering letters or you know a real estate agent checking out the neighborhood they're all you know potential burglars who are casing houses <laughs> and of course again this falls a lot along racial profiling uh, where you know obviously you know your average suburbanite who may have a ring camera or might be staring out uh staring at their their neighbor's app sees some sort of people as more suspicious than others right so to step back a little bit, I, I did a little, uh, some of the research I did on this says that really crime has actually been de- decreasing. And yet, you know, you know, we still have this kind of mentality if it bleeds, it leads, right? So, you know, the sensational stuff is what we always seem to see. Um, is there a way, you know, how do we as a, like a society combat this trend and, you know, and learn to kind of put things in proper perspective? <laughs> I know that's kind of a, a really big question, but what are you, what's your take on it? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think part of it, is in some ways disaggregating the marketing of products that do well when crime is high from mm. actual from actual crime statistics. <laughs> and that comes with a caveat, which is, you know, crime statistics themselves are uh, a, a fascinating product that, you know, has a lot of things that go into it. Um, you know, people who create crime statistics, you know, leave some things out or they re- relabel certain mm. crimes. So, mm-hmm. Crime statistics themselves, you know, historically speaking, are often unreliable. Um, however, in this case, um, we really have to disaggregate, I think, you know, stats coming out of the FBI and places that are saying that the United States is, you know, in some places safer than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, from um, the the marketing that says, like, if you do not get this camera and put it on your house, terrible things will happen. <laughs> uh, and... And you see, you know, Pew Research Center recently 
had a, a poll that said despite the fact that America is getting uh, in general safer, that people in general are fearing crime more. Um, and I, I don't know if this has to do with, you know, the meteoric rise in popularity of, of true crime media mm. or if it has to do with the fact that every time somebody walks by your house, your phone buzzes and you, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of disaggregate that, I think. Well, and I, there's, uh, there's a couple uh, things that, I, that like, there was a recent anecdote with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He got in a lot of trouble on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, but, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson being the scientist, you know, after the shootings in El Paso and and, and Dayton said something like, um, actually, I've got it right here. It says the past 48 hours, the USA horrifically lost 34 people to mass shootings. On average, across any 40 hour, 48 hours, we also lose 500 to medical errors, 300 to flu, 250 to suicide, 200 to car accidents. And he said our emotions respond more to spectacle than to data. Uh, and you know, you got obviously you got a lot of blowback on that because it seemed insensitive. But it's I mean that's yeah. kind of gets to the earlier point I was making. Yeah, I mean I I have some. I mean obviously there are there are cultural and political weight to some of those deaths and not to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I have my own problems with that kind of like pure data is mm-hmm. sciencey kind of thinking because I mean, I'm trained as a historian. So I, mm-hmm. I am, I am somebody who's deeply kind of immersed in the, uh, the cultural context that gives rise to some of these, these issues. Um, that being said, yeah, I mean, w- the difference I think, uh, between just thinking about things as like a, a set of data on a spreadsheet is is the the, the profit motive in, in a lot mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. That some people um, actively benefit from you feeling less safe in your own home. Yeah, and that it, especially since you're a historian, I'd love to get your take on this. And that, to me, the, the other thing that seems uh, very correlated with this change in uh, kind of culture and general panic behavior is 9-11. Because ever since then, you know, surveillance has been, oh yeah, you know, I'll definitely trade some privacy for some security being, you know, what most people think they're doing. Um, you know, and if, you know, if you see something, say something mentality, you know, this, this, we mistrust others by default, especially people who don't recognize. Uh, and I think that's definitely had an effect on our, at least in the U S on our, our collective psyche. And I would think that's probably part of this too, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, in recent years, there there felt like we were trending toward a backlash toward what, you know, what people call security theater, right? The idea that like, you know, every day people accidentally go through TSA or something with like a pocket knife or so, you know, mm. and, and the idea that maybe these things aren't quite as effective as they we think they are. However, they uh, their presence makes us feel safer. Mm. Right, the the theater of performing security makes us feel safer every, every day, um, and I think there may there may be in the recent years, especially after kind of Snowden revelations, um, yeah. a, a sort of backlash to to both surveillance and also to the very performative aspects of of surveillance and of public safety. Um, that being said, where where I think Ring is effective is because we have a kind of moment of national distrust about surveillance at, at a government level. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about Ring is that it's not about like a city putting in a CCTV network, which which would get some backlash. You know, mm-hmm. there have been there has been backlash over the last few years to cities trying to implement large yep. scale CCTVs. But Ring is different in that um, it's coming in once at a time and it's the consumer who's choosing it right so it's like 
you can say I I'm against CCTV, but w- what does it have to do with kind of Big Brother and surveillance if I have one little uh, one little camera on my front door? But what people I think um, don't realize is that that camera becomes part of a a large network that right. you know. On the on the ring police interface, police can see a map of where all of these cameras are, and it can facilitate you, you know, police requesting access to the footage. So, in essence, what we have is a uh, what Ring is creating is a CCTV network that is created by consumer choice. Right. I mean, the way the, the, the obviously the best way to make this happen is for the consumer to think that's their idea. <laughs> right, that, that they got to choose this, but you're 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 right. So let's get into that. So there was a report and uh, from Motherboard, which a lot of your uh, article is based on, and they discovered basically that Amazon was cultivating a very close relationship with police departments around the country. So kind of walk us through what what that report uncovered. Um, yeah, so there there have been a number of different reports. Um, I mean, it seems like every day there are two or three new scoops about Ring coming out from. Mm you know, motherboard or gizmodo. Um, and so what they're finding is that across the country, I think we're, we're getting up to, if we're not there yet, somewhere between like 220 and 300 police departments across the country that have these partnerships with ring. Um, and the partnership entails, you know, each contract is a little different, but for the most part, what partnerships seem to entail is that, um, police encourage, uh, people within their jurisdiction to adopt Ring cameras, mm-hmm. um, and in exchange, Ring f- um, has a interface for police uh, that allows them to see where Ring cameras are in order to directly through the app d- uh, request um, permission from the the owner of the camera to see their footage, and and with it also comes the kind of corporate perks that can only come from having a, you know, the access to a big corporate giant like Amazon, which is they get, um, advice from their, their communications department. Mm-hmm. So for it, for instance, one of the scoops were, so in order for a police officer to get, uh, in order for law enforcement to get the kind of footage from a ring camera, they have to do one of two things. They have to either get permission from the owner of the camera to see their footage or they need to get something like a you know a warrant um, to to and then they can go straight to the Amazon to Amazon and get the footage right off the cloud without even asking permission from the owner of the camera. Mm. Um, so one of the big kind of scoops that have come out from journalists is that Amazon's and Ring's communications experts will actively coach law enforcement and how to uh, best talk to a ring camera owner in order to get permission to look at their footage. <laughs> yeah. One of the articles I saw recently actually claimed that, that one of the parts of the agreement is that the police were, I don't know if not allowed is the right word, but highly discouraged from ever using the word surveillance as they discuss this with, uh, as they're promoting people putting these on their homes or requesting the video, like that apparently that's a, a negative term that, that Amazon specifically wants them to, to avoid. Oh yeah, and absolutely. I mean, more than that. I mean, there there have been some documents that have suggested that um, Amazon discourage Ring discourages police from disclosing the nature of the relationship between police departments <laughs> and Ring. Um, and so yeah, and so so what Amazon gets out of this is obviously they move more units, they sell more cameras, um, and in many instances we've seen just yesterday uh, motherboard 
was running that, you know, between 25000 and sometimes even $100,000, municipalities, governments will give money to Ring in order to subsidize the cost of mm-hmm. cameras for citizens in that town. So if I'm in that town, my police department will give, a, you know, $25,000 to Ring, and in exchange, me as a citizen in that town, I get to buy those cameras half off or something. Now... Because of that arrangement, if you're getting it through the police department, is it, does that change your relationship with the police department? Like, I could see them slipping in or something like, well, if you buy it through the, if you buy if you buy it from the cops, you know, with the discount, then you're kind of, when you sign the line, you're also kind of giving them extra special access. Have you? I could totally see companies doing that. I don't know that they have though. Do, do, are you yeah. aware that the relationship's any different if you get your thing from the cops? I mean, I, I don't I don't know, you know, for the I've never lived in a, in a municipality where mm. this is happening. But I mean, th- think about it uh, this way. I mean, if you lived in that town and, and a police officer comes to you and says, listen, I really think it's important that you get a camera on your front door. <laughs> How are you supposed to know whether or not they're speaking from a place of earnest like concern that you live in like a somewhat dangerous neighborhood or they are just you know obligated by a contract to promote the adoption of this technology right um the analogy i've been using is like you know um water filter systems right uh if if the mayor of your town comes to you and says listen we highly encourage you (laughs) to start using this water filtration system but what happens if your water is actually just incredibly safe to drink and what you don't realize is that they're getting, you know, some kind of uh, partnership with a water filter system. You know, it, it, it has a way of, of uh, building fear about your, you know, about your water or right. in this case about crime in your neighborhood that you never really know um, if you should take it seriously or not or if the, the trust between you and the, like a very important civic institution has been kind of eroded by these partnerships. Yeah, and absolutely. And and this it's a perfect segue because I was going to bring up some other cases where I've I've heard of this in the past where this seems like a really slippery slope and a potential for severe con- conflict of interest. Like I remember there was a case, I think this was in Texas, um where there is a, a technology company who had red light cameras and they offered to the police departments, we will install these red light cameras for free that will take a picture of anybody who runs a red light. So you can send them a ticket as long as we get a cut of the proceeds from from the tickets. And as I recall, that was that re- at least the, that relationship was somehow struck down the court as a as an obvious conflict of interest. And they I don't know what they did to resolve it if they had to change the contract or to rip out the the cameras. Were you, have you heard of that one? Uh, no, no, I'm not familiar with that case. But that that does sound like incredibly interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was also. Um, I think there's also been similar things with automated license plate readers where there are, I don't know if there's independent, like I know they're mounting some of them actually on the cop cars. Um, but I think there's also independent parties. I don't know if they're like delivery services or Google maps or whatever. You know, I'm just guessing. I'm not, I'm not saying that they are doing that, but you know, where they can actually, where they collect the data, then turn and sell the data to. And anyway, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, anytime you have, uh, any party collecting vast amounts of data uh, about people, you you raise the new concern, which is, I mean, what happens if those people get hacked? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and this, we saw this recently in the case of uh, a contractor with um, Customs and Border Patrol yeah, yeah. that was keeping license plate uh, data from license plate readers, uh, and supposedly that was just um, a test program and all this. And Customs and Border Patrol claimed that the 
they the they didn't know that the vendor who sold them the cameras had access to remove data from the cameras. Um, but either way, that that third party got hacked. I mean, all of this information right. is just floating around out there. And I mean, that's not to say that all of these places have like you know incredible vulnerabilities. And um, but but you, I mean, you never know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've often always said that. You know, the, the the best way to protect this data is to never collect it in the first place, because as soon as it's collected and stored, A, it could be hacked, B, you know, by either um, just, you know, script kitty hackers that just want to do it for fun versus all the way up to nation states, you know, that might use it for truly nefar- nefarious purposes or inside job, right? I mean, somebody, a disgruntled employee or somebody inside who wants to make some money. I mean, it just it's just sitting there. It's just, a, it's just begging to be taken. Yeah, absolutely. And. I mean, there are just so many privacy implications um, of of having camera. I mean, not necessarily maybe for you if the camera's facing out, but you know, if I lived directly across the street from a ring camera and everything that was done, you know, through the front windows of my house or on my stool, you know, on my front porch or at my front door was caught on my neighbor's camera, I mean, I I didn't really give my consent for that, you know. Right, yeah, and I, I, I wonder where the law breaks down though, because I, I thought about the same thing. That, that was always kind of my answer when people said, "You're a privacy nut. Why do you have a camera? You know, why do you have a ring doorbell?" It's like, well, it's facing out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, you know that, that I'm like, I'm okay with that, um, and also yeah. because I know that I tweak the little motion sensitive thing, so it really only gets somebody coming up to my door, not people walking on the street. But, like, you know, but if I have our houses in this neighborhood are very close, like most of them are in the United States now. If I put a camera on my window facing my neighbor's window, I would think that would even though it's on my property, you know, mm-hmm. I, anyway, I wonder, I wonder where that fine line is legally, but yeah. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure. So this is, this is another arcane question or um, a question that I have just because from previous things I've talked about with phone records. Um, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but uh, for instance, I know that there's some law in the books about abandoned data and it's, it came from like the seventies or something. And it was, it's been used to say, well, if you keep email on a server for longer than six months, you have, you lose your expectation of privacy. Um, now that we have cloud servers for everything and these videos are stored in the cloud, do you happen to know, does that, that same principle apply here? Like can, can the law enforcement or intelligence agencies say, well, these, you know, this, it's, it follows the same rules and, and these people lose expectation of privacy for this data? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is the kind of moment where I wish I was a lawyer, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not sure. But I mean, that is a very real concern because I mean, um, I think, uh, I mean, Edward Snowden has a new book coming out, I think, yeah. called Permanent Record. And, and I think the, the, the implication of that is th- these things that you do online um, now last forever. I mean, yeah. you can you can go back and you know find people's you know live journals pages from ten fifteen years mm-hmm. ago, and and that stuff is is all out there for a really long time. So, yeah, I, basically, as I've raised my daughters in this, I, I basically tell them to think that everything everything that crosses the internet assume that it's going to live forever, and, <laughs> and you know because it it can today everything can be just stored forever. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so any of those could come back to bite you and we've seen it happen. Already. I mean, just this year, all the breaches and things, there were some, anyway, yeah, lots of breaches. So, okay. So yeah. to your knowledge, um, and we're going to, now we'll start talking about facial recognition. Do you, to your knowledge, has Amazon started linking any of the ring video, uh, footage to facial recognition systems? As far as I know right now, it's only just video, but is there anything preventing them from starting to do that without telling you? 
Not not yet that I've seen, but I mean, you know, Amazon has all of these different branches to it, and it feels like only a matter of time before they start to come together. And that includes, you know, facial recognition. That includes maybe linking your Ring doorbell to the Alexa in your house, and um, mm-hmm. and and no, and I think I think that would be a very troubling development is um, for facial recognition to link up to your ring camera for, for a number of reasons. One being, you know, I don't know what database Amazon would be running that scan of my face against. Is it a, you know, a native Amazon database collected from where I'm not sure. Um, are they cross referencing the, the scan of my face with, you know, driver's license photos Mm. with, you know, with immigration services. It's, it's hard to say. Um, and that's, that would be my worry is because there have been a lot of reports lately about law enforcement and other agencies and federal agencies getting together and sharing databases. I mean, if you've ever gotten a driver's license or a passport, your photo is out there with your name associated with it. And they have, to my knowledge, they have started to collect these things and make them accessible across local and federal agencies, uh, for exactly this purpose. And since Amazon is now courting police department so it just seems like a logical next step yeah and and especially with something like this you run into the kind of classical problems with uh juxtaposing you know a free society and free speech and free movement with surveillance which is you know um what kind of activities was it would it chill if you know that between you and you know your psychiatrist's office who nobody knows you visit um that you have to pass 10 ring cameras that not only will capture your image as you walk by but will scan your face and will tell people exactly who you are and where and and they can easily put together where you're going you know yeah so facial recognition systems have been popping up everywhere. Um, you know, the security line at the airport, uh, our smartphones are now using them to unlock uh, shopping centers. Uh, and I've even seen some articles lately about having them uh, installed at schools and daycare centers. Like I saw this really creepy thing where uh, it was a facial recognition system at a daycare center and you could sign up for notifications of when your child was in front of the camera and it would also try to assess their mood. And let you. And let, I know that that worry. I, yeah, that I mean, kind of <laughs> facial recognition and mood sensing AI is uh, is so troubling to me. Just because I just I have this kind of um, dystopic image in my head of somebody having to argue. Uh, you know, you know that thing that happened to me at work. It was really upsetting. Mm. And then and then you know your employer <laughs> will say, well, actually, uh, our CCTVs picked cameras picked you up and apparent to that according to that you weren't upset you were oh, actually yeah. you're actually fine with what happened <laughs> and you have, to, you have to argue about what was in your head because the cameras uh detected something else from you right oh yeah that is bizarre another you know, one I, go ahead oh yeah no and that's i mean that's trouble i mean that has terrible implications for you know the kind of um uh emotional labor that so much of the American workforce is required to do on a daily basis where not only do they have to do their jobs well, but they also have to kind of perform an enthusiasm to do that job. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's total 1984 Orwell stuff. Um, The other thing I saw recently that was creepy was uh, a new uh, company offering an, an, uh, an interview service for prospective employees where 
to to automate the process a little bit and kind of do a first level screening, uh, you get this link and said, okay, we'd like, you know, we're interested in you click this link to answer some questions, turn on your camera and you, and you look at the camera and it asks you questions. And this system purports to be able to weed out uninterested people or people who don't know how to engage. Like they're not looking at the camera. They're looking down too much or they don't look happy. I mean, again, just super creepy. Yeah. So, I mean, and you know, all of this is to say accuracy aside, which is that, you know, studies have shown that, um, for instance, facial recognition has a harder time being has a lower accuracy rate when it comes to, um, to people of color, to, to gender, you know, non-binary people, the trans people, and all of that has implications. Then what happens if, if, you know, you are a person of color and you want to check in for your, you know, your flight using facial recognition and it just can't find you. Right. Or, uh, or things, you know, and, and, you know, they say that the accuracy is getting better and better, but, um, even if it is, I, I find that troubling because we're leaving such <clears throat> big response, like, um, big responsibilities, big tasks that are important, things like getting on a plane, things that, you know, um, security measures to just a, a scan of your face that who knows just how trustworthy it is. I, I don't really know the technical side of things, but yeah. And so I could segue again, cause it, uh, so for those who don't know, so, so facial recognition is a, you know, it's kind of coming to be because we've got, you know, better and faster computers, but this whole machine learning slash AI thing has really kind of taken off. And, and so the basics, the way I understand it is that, is that you, you have the system where you, you, you take a training set and so you've got a whole bunch of faces and you're, you run them through the algorithm and, and you try to get it to match. And if, and eventually you kind of grade it and, you know, and, and there are even automated processes for grading it. Um, you know, you actually have a, a competing system grading you and this whole thing kind of works out on its own. And so, but, but what it comes down to a lot of these cases and some of the, get back to some of the accuracy you're talking about is a lot of this training da- data is like a whole bunch of white guys. You know, so, you know, you're training facial recognition, but you you don't have a good diversity in your input. So garbage in, garbage out, as we like to say, um, you know, so that so you you mentioned the accuracy and you mentioned particularly people of color. Um, I saw another thing that said recently that they took, I think it was the California state representatives, like they took photos because they all have photos, right? They're all politicians. They've all got a stock you know, headshot and they ran it through some database looking for criminals. And I, if I recall correctly, about 20% of them were flagged as potential criminals. So that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 when they compare your face into, I mean, especially in the criminal context, a lot of what they run it against are kind of things like mugshots, you know, Mm -hmm. images from people who have already been through the criminal justice system. Um, and so, I mean, if you happen to look like enough, like one of those people, um, then, I mean, you could run into some serious problems in the future. I, I was just, um, reading about a system that they're trying to get off the ground in parts of Western Pennsylvania, which, um, would scan the faces of, um, school kids. And, and, um, they were talking about putting it, um, by the, the chamber of commerce that it would be in kind of the downtown business area and put it in front of stores. And the, the idea would be, uh, I guess that it would stop, um, I can't remember it exactly, but that it would stop school kids who have probation or are on probation hmm. 
from from entering stores because the possibility that they could um you know cause trouble in those stores because of their their past mm. um which on the one hand is is kind of gross because it means that the you know it operates on the assumption that the criminal justice system is infallible mm-hmm. and also that if you've com- you've committed an offense once you're likely to do it again mm-hmm. um but also because it i mean <laughs> it stops people from like going into stores and like you know yeah. um participating in in daily public life um and and also because you know you, you never know when it's going to get your face wrong and you're going to walk into a store one day and say sorry get out because our face recognition paired you with somebody who you might not even know you know right there are a lot of implications and a lot, there are a lot of steps in which things could go wrong right yeah, I, I seem to recall that one of the, the uh, Vegas casinos used to use this technology uh, to try to keep out known card counters of things. Because I guess card counting is not illegal, but they don't want you, you know, they don't want you doing it. If they catch you doing it, they don't want you to come back. So they've got, you know, some of the some of the earliest uses of this was to try to identify known counters at, and to keep them out of their casinos. But okay, so let's play devil's advocate. So. I could see a lot of good uses for this. Like, let's say amber alerts or silver alerts. Like, you know, somebody's missing. A child is missing. Or or somebody who um, has dementia or something has gone missing. And we want to be able to find them. We've got cameras everywhere. Just give me a picture of them and we'll see if we can find them. There's obviously good uses of this technology. How do we as a society determine whether or not that's worth the cost to privacy and just general surveillance? Or is there some happy medium to be found? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a really good question. I I think if I if I could have a a, a really great answer to that, I'd probably be you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably you know be some kind of policy creator at some big federal yeah. level if I could. Um, but that's. I mean, that's that's kind of <clears throat> the golden question of how much surveillance is just enough that we get the societal benefits from it without any of the downsides. Um, and, and it's it's a really hard i mean it's hard to to think about because i mean yes if if we had a camera facing at every person at all the time and we knew that somebody was watching on the other end theoretically no crime would be committed right this is the the kind of panopticon mm-hmm. yeah uh, the problem is that what you trade off is is free expression what you trade off is is you know those private moments where you get to do something that you that you don't want somebody right. else watching um that, like I said, I mean, h- how many people would um, be afraid to get the help they wanted because they don't want people to know they're seeing a therapist? Or um, how many people would 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 all of a sudden not feel comfortable going out and getting an abortion because they're doing it against somebody's wishes in their private lives? Or um, or protesting, going out and protesting, which is you know a First Amendment right to go out and protest. So the question is, um, how, how much surveillance? would make people feel safe, but also make people comfortable uh, in order to do that? I don't know. I, I get the feeling that that tipping point is, is, you know, is early on. Yeah. And, and if, you know, we're, we're facing it now. And if it's, if it hasn't really become obvious to the general populace yet, it's going to become obvious very soon. Cause there's going to be some sort of a case that's going to come up. That's going to blow this wide open and people are going to have to address this question and, and, you know, we're going to have to come to terms with it. Um, yeah, the Panopticon was a great reference cause that was, you know, I've mentioned it before and it's, um, you know, the classic reference of the guy who came up with this prison system where there was a guards in a, in a central cylinder tower that could see out, but you couldn't see in. And 
the prisoners in the circles around it had to assume at any given moment they could be watched. They don't know if they were being watched, but they had to assume they were being watched, which apparently had great effect on keeping them in line because they basically self-regulated. And as I, as people, and this is, this is and the reason I knew about this is Glenn Greenwald has a great Ted talk on this, uh, where he brings up this exact concept. And basically what he's saying is that's what we're doing now, basically. And we, and we, as humans act differently if we feel we're being watched. I mean, there's a reason we have t-shirts that say, you know, dance like no one's watching, you know, there's reasons we have, we sing in the shower or sing in the car, you know, there's things that we do and they're not bad things. They're not, they're just private things, you know, yeah. that's why there's doors on bathrooms, right? I mean, there's, we, as, as humans need some space to express ourselves where we, where we don't have a fear of being viewed by someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, you get the standard reply often, you know, well, I have nothing to right. hide. So why should I care? But the thing is, <clears throat> we really, that's making a bet that the future world, the ten, world of 10 years from now is uh, a very good one. <laughs> it is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like preventing these systems from being built now is a gift not to yourself necessarily in the moment, but to yourself 10 years in the future. Because frankly, we, you know, the world is a chaotic and it's an unpredictable place. We don't know what will be illegal 10 years. You know, we don't yeah. know if, if the United States of America will outlaw protest and then be able to rely on 10 years of face scannings of protest crowds to retroactively, uh, you know, watch list and arrest protesters. Uh, we just, we, we can't know. And like, I I would like to, you know, believe in a world where, uh, yes, I have nothing to hide, so I would have nothing to worry about. But historically speaking, there have been a lot of times, I mean, you know, there were there were moments when, you know, it it was fine to be Jewish in Germany until it wasn't, you know, not to not to, of course, go to the most extreme scenario uh, immediately. But we, we just, you know, I'm a historian. I've seen how in, in world history these, you know, political regimes change. And yeah. I like to think we live in like a very peaceful and stable and progressive society. But I am also just not willing to to bet against my future self by allowing these things to be built. Yeah. And I mean, you know, good intentions pay the way, pave the way to hell. And and like the Stasi, you know, back in, you know, in East Germany and whatever, and some of these some of these historical cases that were, you know, these were all supposedly for our, for protection of the people, right? There were, there were some security, there were security concerns that were used to kind of foist, you know, some of these draconian, you know, processes on people to keep track of everybody. The thing I think about today would be like ice raids, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and things where in today's society, where you know, the, the certain types of people are being demonized and how this technology could be used to, you know, root out people that we don't like, you know, where we heard that Absolutely. before. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, five, 10 years ago, <clears throat> some people who, you know, um, so some people who had DACA were sitting very comfortably in their life in the United States and, and now their lives seem very unstable. And if they could go back five years ago, you know, if, if we all could know that this was coming and, and help to prevent, ICE from getting some of the kind of technological surveillance tools uh, it has now, that m- might have been a good, you know, a good fight to have had then. 
Another issue I have with surveillance in particular, uh, this video surveillance and facial recognition is it's not unlike other, maybe, you know, browsing the web or whatever, there's really kind of no meaningful way to, to opt out. Right. I mean, you can't, unless you, you can't walk around without, I guess, with a mask on. I mean, we're not going to get to that point, but do you know, do we have any legal rights at this point against uh, surveillance? Is there um, like, even they make it so convenient, like even with the TSA, like, you know, if the you know, quicker check-in, just show us your face. And, and I, I guess trying to not do that is kind of a pain in the butt. And I, which it, it is, I guess is kind of on purpose They make it much more convenient to do this, not to not do this. So convenience being like the other way to kind of slip this on us. Uh, yeah, like opting out of the airport of face recognition is is kind of a pain in the butt. You're right. Um, but I think the way we can push back against this is by organizing. It's, mm. it's you know, I'm very I'm, – I'm not one of those people. I'm not a kind of surveillance and privacy nihilist. Um, and I think something that's been giving me a lot of hope lately is a lot of the community organizing, a lot of the groundwork that's being done – um, in cities to push back yeah. against some of these more invasive technologies. So um, as of right now, face recognition is, you know, there are um, many cities across the country that have banned it or are pushing or implementing, you know, legislation or every day people are calling their mayors and their chiefs of police. And I think um, that kind of work is incredibly important on the political side. Um, and on the, uh, here's an example of something that you don't know, you know, if in a few years people will, you know, we'll, we'll all get arrested for having used encryption and messaging apps just because it's suspicious. But I mean, for, you know, using encrypted messaging apps is always, if you're, um, if you're somebody who really cares about the protection of your, of your privacy, um, things like signal, yeah. uh, which is a very easy messaging app, things like that. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, your information uh, security infosec isn't um, necessarily often the most user friendly thing. It's not the most right. uh, it's not the most uh, accessible world. But there are some great tools out there. Uh, EFF has certainly created a few of them that that are really great for people interested in uh, having a bit more digital privacy and. and you know, standing up for the principles of digital privacy, but aren't necessarily a computer engineer. Yeah, in fact, I'll I'll look I'll have to look it up. I think you guys recently came out with something on a street level because uh, you've got surveillance self defense, uh, the SSD, mm -hmm. which we talked about in the show before. I think you've actually got another guide for now for street level self defense, which may go into the facial recognition stuff, and maybe um, I'll have to look that up. And if I can find it, I'll I'll definitely put a uh, link to the show notes. So, okay, just to wrap up, and I always like to give people some sort of hope or some action item. Some is there are there currently any bills in front of Congress that uh, that maybe people could be calling and telling the representatives to support? Is there, what, what what's going on uh, in our government that we might be able? Uh, besides, obviously, acting local, I totally agree. Is there something at the federal level that we could be doing as well? Yeah, I would say uh, yeah, acting local, keeping your eyes out for things, you know. Um, you know, kind of town hall meetings or or kind of community organizing meetings that that think about surveillance. Keep an eye out for state bills if there might be some statewide bills uh, aimed at canceling or at banning face recognition. Um, but at the federal level, yeah, we're going to be looking at a lot of bills probably in the next four or five months that um, that aim to tackle or reform uh, face recognition. Um, th things that aim to set boundaries on some of that kind of more localized surveillance, but also um, 
come this December, um, sections of the Patriot Act are going to be up for reauthorization. Uh, and specifically, something that I've been looking at is Section 215, mm-hmm. which uh, among the many other things it does, authorizes the collection of uh, a wide array of information um, given to the NSA and given to the government from kind of telecommunications companies. Uh, and so definitely keeping an eye out this December for any bills that seek to reauthorize parts of the Patriot Act and then, um, you know, going on, going to EFF.org, seeing what we're saying about it, or just reaching out to your elected officials and telling them, listen, we really strongly, you know, want transparency, but also want some bills that will reauthorize um, these parts of the Patriot Act, but with, with heavy uh, restrictions mm-hmm. and provisions. And, you know, keep an eye out for what EFF what people like ACLU will say about that later this fall. Yep. That's very good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that's going to be uh, sunsetting and those things have to be renewed and it's, it's coming up and that's a good one to, to, to watch as well. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. This is really, really relevant topic right now and it's kind of super creepy. So, so I'm, I was really glad to be able to talk to you about that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, anytime. So this is another one of those weird cases, right, where you've got this technology that can be used for really good purposes and and as far as we know is definitely being used for those purposes, but has a real downside. It, there's a real slippery slope here, It's and, and it's extremely slippery. I think uh, one of my tweets lately, I said it was as slippery as a slip and slide, where we start putting this technology everywhere, you know, trying to milk the, the best out of it and unfortunately open the door for a lot of abuse. So I wanted. I told you there's been an update on this, and there has. Uh, in in the interview, we talked about Amazon kind of being exposed, that they had had relationships with maybe up to 200 police departments around the country, uh, and to the best of our knowledge, that they are not currently using facial recognition technology uh, with this system. Uh, but uh, I've got an article here from BuzzFeed that came out since I talked to Matthew, and I want to just read a little portion of that real quick to, to update you on some things we found out since the interview. So again, from BuzzFeed, it says, Amazon-owned home security company Ring has long maintained that its video-enabled doorbells do not use facial recognition technology. On Wednesday, it reaffirmed that commitment to the Washington Post, saying that its devices do not employ the controversial tech that some cities have banned. Quote, Ring does not use facial recognition technology, unquote. A a company spokesman told BuzzFeed News on Thursday, repeating the claim. But that's not the whole story, according to documents obtained by BuzzFeed News. While Ring devices don't currently use facial recognition technology, the company's Ukraine arm appears to be working on it. Quote, we develop semi-automated crime prevention and monitoring systems, which are based on but not limited to facial recognition, unquote. Uh, Reads Ring Ukraine's website. BuzzFeed News also found a 2018 presentation from Ring Ukraine's quote-unquote head of face face recognition research uh, online and direct references to the technology on its website. Ring's contradictory statements about its facial recognition efforts is just the latest example of the Amazon-owned company's lack of transparency regarding its products. On Wednesday, the company revealed that it was working with more than 400 law enforcement agencies in the U.S. after spending months stonewalling media outlets, activists, and researchers who asked questions about the company's partnerships with police departments. Quote, we are on the verge of an unprecedented increase in state and private spying that will be built in plain sight, unquote. 
uh, says Evan Greer, the deputy director of the digital rights group Fight for the Future, uh, who wrote an op-ed in BuzzFeed News last month. Quoting again, it will be built in winsome partnership between corporations and government agencies hungry for more data and control, unquote. On Wednesday, after months of public pressure, Ring disclosed partnerships with 405 U.S. police departments, nearly double the amount previously known, that allow officers to easily request video footage from Ring users in the investigation of potential crimes. A Ring spokesperson also said the company has no law enforcement partnerships outside the U.S. All right, so that's the end of the, uh, of the article from BuzzFeed. And, you know, just wanted to let you, just wanted to let you know how pervasive this is becoming, and just because uh, you should be aware. Next week, barring any major news announcement, I'm planning to go through this press release uh, or blog post or both uh, from Google called their Privacy Sandbox Initiative. And it's really interesting to walk through it because Google, kind of like Facebook, has supposedly got religion on privacy and they're touting all the things they're doing for privacy. When in reality, that's exactly not what they're doing. So uh, it they are doing some good things. And again, as I've often said on the show, Google does some really good things in terms of uh, security, uh, great things uh, for security. But in, when it comes to privacy, it's just the con- the inherent conflict of interest just makes it impossible to trust what they're doing. And in fact, you can kind of easily pick apart what they're saying they're doing and parse the language to understand what's really going on. So I think it's kind of important. Uh, and I think we could do a whole show on it. Uh, or at least most of a show on it. So tune in next week. We're going to kind of go through that and talk about what all these things that Google is saying that they're doing for privacy when in reality what they're really doing is trying to protect their business model, which is advertising. Uh, so we're going to talk about that next week, again, barring any major news stories between now and then. Uh, and then after that, we've got a, another interview on facial recognition technology more in general, broadly. Uh, it will be a two-part interview more, most likely, and we'll be talking with Jeremy Scott from Epic. Uh, or the Electronic Privacy Information Center. I've been trying to get an interview with one of those guys for a long time now. So really glad that finally came together, finally made some contacts there. And it's another really interesting discussion, and we kind of get more, again, it's more kind of generally about uh, facial recognition technology, where this one was focused on Ring. So you'll definitely want to listen to that as well. I've been trying to get trying to get people to come on the show to talk about facial recognition technology for a long time now, and uh, all of a sudden I got two. So anyway, that'll be probably a two-part interview and that will come after next week's show on google's privacy sandbox as always go to firewalls don't stop dragons you can find links to my book you can find my newsletter you can find my blog entries uh you can search through some of the archives there There's a lot of good stuff there and uh as you know as always tell your friends about the podcast tell your friends about the book if you get a chance uh, i'd love to get some good reviews dropped on those as well that really helps them get noticed uh, and that's the hardest thing about all this to, is stuff to, is to get noticed. So, so I appreciate any good word of mouth you could put in for me because that's really how uh, this stuff spreads. So thank you very much and tune in again next week. Until then, stay safe and don't get caught with your garbage down.